friends, Romans, countrymen, let me hear us. Hello, everyone. You are tuned to the MC Lars podcast. This is episode 92. It's June 1st, 2020. And this episode is with Jim Greer of the Rondo Brothers, one half of the Bay Area production duo that ended up producing most of my albums over the years from Robot Kills. Well, to the gra- going back to The Graduate, Digital Gangster, Single and Famous, Zombie Dinosaur, a lot of the singles on the Donald Trump Has Really Bad Morals album, a lot of singles. Shout out to Jim Greer. This episode is interesting because he talks about what it was like starting as a musician in the Bay Area, how we got in the mix with Dan the Automator and Head Automatica and the Dr. Octagon stuff. And he talks about how we met because I was looking for different producers and he'd done stuff with Dan the Automator, whose manager knew Miles, who was managing the matches, and then that's why they recorded Hot Topic is Not Punk Rock. We recorded that at the Rondo Brothers. So we talk about that. We talk about how he met Angela Moore Fishbone. He tells a funny story about the Cool Keith song. I asked him to do like a dubstep track, right? The dip, the beat, and he talks about that. And he talks about being positive. And then we end with a song by one of his new artists, Jane The Message. So it's a great interview. He also talks about uh, Liam Lynch, the director, musician, growing up and going to school with him. So let's kick things off. This is the weekly letter to Atlas. And this is from my friend Michelle, who's a San Diego homie, who is in the download the song video. And she left a cool message for Atlas. Is he sleeping? Is he pooping? Just checking in. How's a little boy doing? These are some messages that you left. Wishing our little baby boy the best. Now it's time for Letters to Atlas. Please leave a message after the tone. Dear Atlas, this is one of Andrew's longest term friends, Michelle Chesterton. And your father is one of the greatest friends I've ever had. He is so fantastic. And your father is the greatest guy. And your father is so strong. And he is going to be great with you. And you know what? You have the greatest mother in the whole wide world. She's a science teacher. Your father is so successful. He has a degree you're just going to be just so successful, just like your father is and your mother is. They're going to be so proud of you. I know if I ever meet you, I'm going to be so proud of you. You're going to have an awesome friend named Charlotte. She is going to love you to death. She's going to be one of your best friends. And you know what, Matthew? He, we may live, going to live in maybe in Minnesota and Arizona, wherever we end up being. But you will have a friend in Arizona if we stay here or in Minnesota if that's where we end up going. But you know what? You are going to be the greatest boy in, in the whole wide world because you're going to be so smart and you're going to be so great. And you know what? I'm going to be so proud of you because you know what? I have been such a, fa- a fan and a friend of your father for so long and a supporter of him for so long that I am so happy for him, and I'm so happy for you to have the greatest family that you you have. You know, you will never know how I am so proud of him. And I really hope one day that you will see how proud of a father you, you have and how great of a mother you have. And just, I hope one day that I do get to meet you, and I... I Charlie gets to meet you, 
and everything. So, and you get to be successful just like your dad. Okay. Bye. Thank you, Michelle. That was so sweet. And Atlas is going to love it. All right. Before we get into this week's interview, I want to shout out the uh, MC Lars Patreon Larson. Shout out to the new ones, Rob from Hidden Home Records. He was on the podcast a few months ago. Bernie C. and James Hartman. Shout out to the old ones. Christopher Suski, Nora, and Rhythm Bastard, who is my homie in Florida, who prepped the songs I had on Rock Band a few years ago. So shout out to all of y'all. And I know things are nuts right now with the riots, with the coronavirus. Like, you could say this feels like the apocalypse or something. And I retweeted Taylor Swift's tweet um, where she kind of told Donald Trump to slow his role and not instigate violence. You know, violence against people of color, you don't need me to say this, but it's it's gotten out of hand. And I don't want to sound preachy, but racism is so ingrained into our society. And I think people are really cooped up and frustrated because the coronavirus stuff has kept us all inside. So it's kind of literally exploding right now with all these riots. Cops just need to just need to not be so violent and not have a bias against people of color and enough black lives have been taken. And that's all I'm going to say. I wanted to put that, put that on record. That's where I stand. Okay. This is my interview with Jim Greer. We're going to get a little happier. Um, I appreciate all y'all and like, you know, this whole pandemic has been nuts, but having this platform to do this stuff, um, having a beautiful son, having an amazing wife, having a place to stay, I'm just grateful every day for what I've been given and I want to be able to give back more in the future. So that's it. Let's get into it. This is my interview with Jim Greer of the Ronda Brothers. Thanks for listening. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm here with Jim Greer of the Rondo Brothers, a man I've known about 16 years, and we're here in the studio in Berkeley. Hi, Jim. Hello. Hello, hello, Andrew, MC Lars. Nice to see you. It's a great, great pleasure to have you here today. Thanks, man. I wanted to have you on this podcast for a long time because we've done a lot of stuff together, and I saw you on my birthday when I played San Francisco with Oakley Doakley. And I was like, I don't see Jim enough. Yep. So that was the last time I saw you. And um, I wanted to say on the record, Jim Greer has been counting his calories, running a lot. He looks great. And he's (laughs) he's got longevity in the studio. It works. It works. What's your secret? Um you know, you have to eat less food. That's that's the number one thing. Like I'm for I'm a little little bit of a conspiracy theorist person, just like a tiny bit. But one of the conspiracies uh, conspiracies I'm convinced of is that the entire weight loss industry is a complete and total scam. And there's one answer if you want to get healthier, eat less food. And it's pretty obvious, eat less and eat healthier, but just eat less. So I I lost about 25 pounds, which I didn't even know I had on me to lose. And Mm. it's just because I stopped... You know, I just cut everything. I I cut all my consumption like just in half. Just like instead of two eggs and 
two pieces of toast in the morning, like one egg and one piece of toast. And then like maybe be a little hungry, but that's okay. Right. Like just push through, you know, <laughs> and I know it's hard to push through that hunger. Yeah. And then for lunch, instead of like a big salad that costs $12 at the buffet, right? like a $6 salad. I mean, literally just half of everything. Just half. Did you, was it hard to get used to eating half the calories or no. what? I just yeah. was really, I was really determined. I, I was feeling, I was something was weird. I was feeling like gross. I was feeling like there was too much of me. And I was like, I gotta just, blah. and I didn't even start running or anything right away. I just, I just, I just cut down my consumption. And then like, I mean, that was it. That was it. Nothing else. I literally did nothing else. And then in like a month I had lost like eight pounds and I was like, and I didn't even weigh myself for a while. I didn't even think about it, to be honest. Yeah. I just I made it like a mental thing with like no tracking and no data. I was like, I'm just going to do this for a while and see how it feels. And it felt good. And then I was like, and then I, one day I was like, I should weigh myself, huh? And I weighed myself and I was like, whoa, because I had been like 178 and I was like 169 or something. And I was like, I was like, whoa, crazy. No. And then, and then of course I was like, I wonder if I can get down to 165. And then I would started doing weird things like really not eating for a few days. And I guess that's fasting diet. Okay. But I don't pay attention to any of that. So, but not, I would still eat, but even less, you know, even less, like no breakfast, like really small lunch, like smallish dinner and just get just pushed through. Yeah. And then I did, it was like, now it's like 165, like three weeks later. And then I was like, oh my God, you can just, you know, I didn't, I wasn't unhealthy. I wasn't like yellow or <laughs> not eating lemons. You know what I mean? Like right. I was, I was, I felt great. I felt great. And um, how about sugar? Still- I, I paid no attention to I, everything half. So just if I, half. Okay. If I normally would eat two cookies, just have one. Like I know a cookie is not that bad for me, right? But ten is, right? You know? So like, still putting sugar in my coffee, still putting like, you know. Um, although I switched to agave, I like the agave stuff better. Um, but yeah, like whatever, like really, you know, like, and then and, and my wife is French. She makes these incredible desserts. Mm. And I was like, you got to lay off the desserts. Like, please stop making. She would make one like every single day. Wow. Like, and they're delicious. I'm, I bet. They're I'm sure. so good. They're like exquisite. So I was just like, please, please stop. You know, like <laughs> begging. She was like, oh, I, cause she can eat whatever she wants and she never gains anything cause she's French. That's what's up. So, um, that's kind of like a metaphor for your success in the music industry. You just decided, hey, I'm going to be a musician. I'm going to come to California. I'm going to work with all these people. And it's kind of just like you have this magic Jedi willpower to, to get things done. And that's why I always love every time we linked up to complete projects, I knew when I would hire you for things, they'd get done, they'd be professional, right. and it would be a, really fun to do. And um, it's the, looking back, like so we worked on four records, five records we did... <laughs> Robot Kills, Zombie uh, Zombie Dinosaur, Digital Gangster, Single Famous with Cave Flay, who blew up after that. Um, the, the Whitey Cracker record. Yeah, Digital Gangster. Oh, that was Digital Gangster. We worked okay. on Jeff Sessions right. and uh, just and then a bunch of like features I did on on your stuff. It's yeah, probably like fifty songs. A whole lot, That's a lot up. of stuff. That's pretty cool, up. man. <laughs> this is pretty cool. This is why we live. This is why we do it. Like I, know. I consider it a great honor to like create this library of stuff with someone. And I know that, you know, you, in fact, you know, you've inspired me a lot because of the way, like you were the first person to ever be like, 
Okay, Jim, so like I'm here and I know we have like 37 songs to work on. So if you could pull up the following 14, like bing, bong, 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 bong. And then you're like, so I have like trumpets from my friend Joe in, you know, here. And I right. have like a drum machine beat I made in Austin with my other friend, Adam. And then I have a thing I made in LA. And then you would just, you would just send me these like, like kind of like bricks of like, you know, parts that you just assembled all over the place being very like quick and savvy and technologically mm. savvy about it with your laptop and your microphone and your guy makes beats in Ableton or whatever. Right. But I'm, I love this like collage style of putting stuff together. And I no longer like, like I don't like, I, I have a great deep appreciation for like a music studio with live musicians. Like I just recorded this amazing band with like three players and all in one room all together. And it was like astoundingly cool. And then I also love the idea of like, you know, my beat from here and my baseline yeah. and my thing and my thing. And like, this is totally digital and that's fake and that's fake. Like people have been doing this forever and, and it's all about the end product. And it's like, right. you were always like, well, here's what my song is about. And this is why it exists. Cause I'm going to do this thing, this like piece, this thought. Hmm. And then everything else would be supporting that. You weren't just like, oh, I don't know. It's just like random jams. Like my friend jammed on it. <laughs> and then my other friend jammed on it. And none of the, that would, not that there would be anything wrong with that either, right. but you got such a point to it that I was, I was like, man, the medium, the thing, the laptop, the mic, it's all just a tool to create this, this song, this, this art form. Yeah. And that's, and you know, being a, we're both big Weird Al fans, right? The idea Hell that yeah. genre, he talks about the, Lin-Manuel Miranda talks about how he learned this from Al. Genre is the clothes that songs wear, right? The song and the idea is like the backbone of everything. So I see you have the, the Robot Kills poster up. Like that album particularly had like, gosh, 50, 60 people worked on it because it was four years of, I was living so many places and you were kind of like, you and Brandon, but you, you really, the midwife that birthed this like amalgam of, you know what I mean? These pieces <laughs> that we, and we had to put together and then we ended up, a lot of stuff was not in the right key. Like it was all that, right? The whole I musical. I don't remember much. You have a days. you had the ear to know what. Oh, that I know. Yeah, musically yeah, yeah. was in tune and what was. Oh, yeah, it. and that was sure. important. Yeah. yeah, so that's what's that's up. my gift. Yeah, my gift is that I'm an ear player. You're an ear player, and you that's my whole thing. Tone and pitch, and Brandon, he's more. Correct me if I'm wrong. Working with him, he's great with grids and loops. Great at technically, and then great at creative. He's really technically good at all that stuff, and then. You know, uh, and I am too. But for example, he will he would do creative stuff with what looping and gridding and that that nobody else would ever think of. Like, yeah. you know, like it's kind of uncanny. Like this weird talent for like technical, like detaily things that no one else would ever come up with that are almost visual. Like he's like, oh, that conga looks cool. Right. I'll put it there. Right. Like, and, I, and, 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 you know, but then it's a sound <laughs> too. And it's just a whole other way of doing things, you know, that is trippy, but. Well, yeah. and it's, you guys are in word, like a great balance to, to those mid career projects, because you're right. Uh, Brandon's sessions would be like rainbow I know. of color. Right? right. And like, look like, yeah, look like a, a, um, impressionist painting right where when i would do vocals with you it's like doing it in one take and more about the vibe and more about layers and the musicality of the doubles where brandon is more about like staccato performance and cutting and and piecing together this frankenstein yeah with you it's more like painting the story right. so that's like learned a lot from both of you and i think now these days I try to do most of my verses in one or two takes 
because that means I can do it live, right? And that means it's if you well, you, and you're good yeah. enough too. Oh, that's thanks. that's yeah. another thing. You've you've that you know your talent. Eventually, you don't even have any idea how good you are at something like you mm-hmm. know. And I see it when I record someone younger who hasn't made eighty billion songs, and it's like a lot of stopping, especially for rapping. Right. A lot of stopping and starting. A lot of like not knowing when to breathe and. Sure, you can just do one word at a time or one half a line at a time and just totally fake it up and that's fine too. But you know, yeah. the ones that are the ones that are really good are like, no, I gotta do it, you know? And then they can't. And then and then when you stand someone to know, know someone like you who's just like, Yeah, I practiced it, I know it, like now I'm gonna do it. Yeah. It's just like shooting three pointers. You just get good at it and then suddenly it's a skill you have. That's true. You, you get you learn that you have to you really should know your verse and you should rehearse it and I would always try to memorize my parts. When I when I knew I was working with you, I knew we would it would be better if we weren't starting and stopping because you had an ear for the, you have an ear for the full project and that that's something I learned. Like come in the studio with your verses memorized. If you got to be memorized. I mean, especially if, if you're you, paying for the session, it's embarrassing if <laughs> yeah. you're not. Honestly, it's a little embarrassing. It's like, right. are you holding your phone up to read this off a page? Because then you can't even you know. It just, it's like, what, you know, and it's, it's unfortunately, that's a problem I see a lot of, uh, I don't know, millennials having because they don't, they just, they don't seem to think that that matters. Like, cause it's all kind of like a notepad to them. Yeah. Like, like pro tools is just another notepad with like more tracks. It's not really, you know, the, the whole like mystery of, of I'm in the studio and like this is my opportunity to perform this for once and for all for perpetuity and make it magical you know is kind of like whatever like turn on your laptop and let me like record my thing like I'll just read it off my phone and it doesn't matter you know which which is like I don't know a little weird it's different you you made an interesting point about how like the amalgamation element of putting together all of these different um live musical pieces it's a confluence of studio and live right and you see that and especially like the beastie boys of paul's boutique record and like odelay like a lot of the dust brothers stuff is about piecing together things but you have to have that corporeal element the human element of the vocal of the energy of the story and i think you made an interesting point like there's this disparity now where there's this idea of this parasocial branding which is the idea that if we're doing this podcast, this is something we've talked about in the podcast. We could have a camera and be on Twitch streaming it. We could be on Instagram. And everything you do has the potential to be streamed live. So then what is the – where is the the um, like layer between being on stage and not? You're documenting something that yeah. transcends that parasocial Theoretically, thing. you're making yeah. a, a single thing. I mean, I love live performance videos, and yeah. I like I'm happy to watch somebody's – interview live on the air or watch Saturday night live or whatever is live. But yeah, it's, yeah, I, you know, I just, I just have to kind of believe that like, if you're serious about being a recording artist, then the medium is, is songs and albums or EPs or like forms of music with or without video. And that then you should treat it like a, like chapters in a book that you're writing over the course of your whole life. And you don't want some chapter to have only been like, a live Instagram thing that's gone mm. or is just stored on a server somewhere. And then you're like, Oh, chapters like three, seven, 12 and 14. We're all just like, Erased. yeah, <laughs> they're gone now. Or they yeah. kind of just happened once. Like 
I want to be able, when I'm old, I want to be able to go on Spotify or whatever and be like, there's all my records. Yeah. Like, wow, like 1998, I made a record. Like someday that'll be like 50 years ago. And I'll be like, wow, mm. you know, that's trippy. And I want, I like that kind of library card catalog way of looking at it. I think that has more ultimate weight in your career than just, you know, like, so if you're a model and you just have a giant Instagram feed, like, wouldn't it be nice to have like a coffee table book? Right. And we can have that easily because of just putting music on the internet. You know, it's funny, man, because I remember when we had the, the production meeting for Zombie Dinosaur, we sat in this very room. It was you, me, and Brandon. And we were talking, I'm sorry, yeah, you, me, and Brandon, we were talking about like the, the album. It was awesome because it ended up charting on Billboard and like it did great. And it had like more resonance than I think any of us thought would happen. But I remember um, one of the things Brandon did was make a list of the archival end game for it. So he's like, okay, so we're, how are we going to release this digitally? And then he wrote down all the formats, cassette, vinyl, CD. <laughs> and I was at Amoeba today and on hate and um, they had it in the hip hop really? section on oh, vinyl. Wow. And I was like, oh man, that's crazy. I'm, I'm seeing Jim today. And I remember Brandon talked about how the physical endpoint should have these components when we had the production meeting. And that was like you guys as a production team seeing the long, the long form like return on these digital tracks we were going to make. And I think that's like ties in what you're saying. Cause now it's vinyl. That's a great like artifact. And that was something that, yeah, that Brandon was like, we need to make sure we do. And we did. And so it was, it was like a moment for me. I was like, Oh, that's cool. Like having, yeah. Yeah. <sighs> It's it's this part of the producer's job. It seems like is having this you, two parts. First, you're trying to birth the music. The second is trying to work with your artist to convince them that what they're creating is going to have a life of its own and have a life outside of the booth. And trying to rein in the inspiration so that like you have that vision in mind because you're trying to produce something in a literal yeah. sense. Yeah. Right. And do you yeah. find as an artist yourself, how do you? balance those two perspectives does that question make sense oh my god it is a struggle <laughs> yeah i mean i can produce i i feel like when i get given that role and it's somebody else's music it is it is almost always if not always if not pretty much always absolutely crystal clear to me what to do what they need what the music needs everything every decision it's all right there like right away i barely need to hear a note i know exactly what's going on and of course, I will get more information from them and change my change change how I'm guiding or whatever. Yeah. But um, I, I I talk to them. I weigh what they're trying to do. Some artists are are cagey and they don't really tell me everything right away, and I have to kind of wait. Some like don't want to be talked to a lot. They just want to. They just want you to listen. Right. And I know when to do that. I know when just to listen. I know when someone needs to have a whip cracked. I know when that would be like the worst thing to do. <laughs> I really have learned. And 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 I I love, I love I love I I love the whole process so much that I really truly love just like hanging out. Like when I'm just hanging out with an artist that I'm working with, even if we're just doing nothing, not in the studio at all, I'm still like actively actively like hearing them and 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 trying to help them you know understand what 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 they're what they're up against what they're doing and um and as a uh as an artist myself um i i only know one thing that i can do as an artist myself i've learned this again also like the hard way i only know how to find joy in the process mm. of what I'm doing. 
and I can do that like a ninja. Mm. Like when I'm working on a new song, like a gym song or whatever, I'm whether it's vocal or instrumental or whatever, I am like, I am fully in. I am like in a full trance. I'm in full joy mode. There is nothing else on the planet. I am just, I mean, it's the, you know, it is absolutely my happy place. And like mm. when I'm in this room or yeah. whatever room I'm in and I'm doing it, I'm so, I'm so into it. I can't even explain. Like it would be hilarious to watch like a, like a, especially because I work alone a lot. So it'd be really interesting to see like a time lapse of me, but I will just like run from keyboard to keyboard and I get all stoked and I layer things and I'm like, yeah. I'm daydreaming about all the things that are going to happen in the songs and my mind. And I'm like getting 12 Grammys and like <laughs> jamming with Stevie wonder. And, and then also like sitting again in the room alone, you know, like I, right. I, I just, am, I am like, I am so all over the place and I love it. And, and I love it all the way up until I'm done. And then I, I bounce myself an MP3 and I go sit in my car and I listen to it on 12, you know, and then I, for the next week, I listen to it. I walk the dog, I listen to the song and my headphones on 12, I, you know, wake up in the morning, like before everyone's still asleep and I put my headphones on, I listen yeah. to it and I, you know, just sneak away and listen to it whenever I can. And then suddenly I have to decide like, what am I going to do with this? Right. And then I get really depressed. Because that's right. When when you're when it's the production finale of your own project. Oh right? my god! And then I just yeah. hate life, and I hate everybody, and I get <laughs> totally nihilistic, and I hate the music business because I realize <laughs> I have to try to get people to care or listen or say yes or say no. And I do have all these friends in the industry I can send things to, and then I feel like I'm bothering them, and I feel weird about it, and I get self conscious and insecure, and I just, you know. And I try really hard to be like, Jim, like, calm down. Like, if you were an artist, what would you tell yourself to do? You'd oh, be like, good. fuck that. Be brave. Like, send it to everybody, you know? And then I'll have these weird little chunks right. of, like, five minutes during the day where I'll get all, like, yeah, and I'll send out all these things. And yeah. then, like, I'll get weird again. And, like, a day later, I'll start to get responses. And I'll be like, oh, God, what have I done? Why did I do this? Like, what have I done? I'm gonna, Everyone's <laughs> going to hate me, you know? I mean, I really have bad, like psychosis or bipolar whatever all that is i have it pretty bad i mean not in like a dangerous way but but it's very real it's well a mental roller coaster ride that i don't like it, it must be a relief to then be able to sublimate all that second part and work on other projects oh yeah budgets and other people's yes right then i'm in then then i'm safe yeah then i'm safe because it's not all on me yeah when it's me i'm it's really it's just hard you know it's just hard i mean I mean, it's it, all good artists, all great artists diversify typically, and whether it's with touring or merch or producing other artists like you or, you know what I mean? It's like the era where you would just have a label, pay all your bills, give you an advance, <laughs> and do all the marketing. That's that's kind of a '90s, I mean, paradigm for the most part. Yeah. Right. Uh, '90s and and prior. Yes. Prior, right? That's that, that's kind of a ended, you know, around 2008 or nine or 10 or something. I mean, yeah, depends on the genre. I mean, it yeah. depends on the genre of music and you get a different answer from everybody you ask right now in the music business about how things are, you right, know, right. like how are they? And I, I have all these people and I know all these people and every once in a while I'd be like, how is it really? You know? And uh, the answers are just, you know, all over the map. And, you know, the, the general word on the street though, from like major labels, is like, we get interested when stuff goes viral and is already big, then we're, you know, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, it, yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I, I don't want to, <laughs> I could go deep on that topic. I'll, well, let's, talk, interview. let's talk about your origin story. So you grew up in Ohio, right? Yes, I did. What part of Ohio? 
I'm from a small town called Hudson. And in fact, it turns out um, it's in northeastern Ohio. Mm-hmm. If you take Connecticut out and you stretch it all the way over to the very western end of what used to be Connecticut, it mm-hmm. was used to be called the Western Reserve of Connecticut. And my town is in that thing. So to call it the school I went to was called Western Reserve Academy. Mm. And randomly, I grew up in this really old house that we knew was like historical, but um, I just found this book that my mom had about the house where I grew up, this little like book that somebody just made, like a one copy of it. But it has all the history of who owned it. And the, the land was originally owned and bought by John Brown, who is the famous abolitionist. That's crazy. Yeah. You know, one he, of my first songs about John Brown. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I, he's, he, like, he, him and his brother Owen. And, like, in my town, there's, like, a street called Owen Brown Street. Mm. And they, they were from there, and they had a house up the street somewhere. Yeah. And, like, we all knew, like, oh, yeah, John Brown was, like, from here, and there's a house here that he lived in. But I never knew that he owned the land that I, I grew up That's on. That's tight. And, um... I always thought he was like such an awesome, like rebel, radical guy. Like just the pictures, the fiery right. red hair and like Harper's Ferry and like yeah. abolitionists, like doing the right thing and dying for it. You know, thought that was pretty cool. Yeah. Anyways. He- yeah. So I'm from this town called Hudson. It's a small town in Ohio. And you went to high school with Liam Lynch? I went to, I met, I met him when I was 10 wow. uh, in fifth grade. We went to elementary school and then I, he went to the public school in my town and I went to the private. Uh-huh. So, um. But yeah, I met him. Uh, uh, he used to wear when we were ten years old. He used to wear a blazer, like a like a blazer <laughs> with like pads on it, like style to right. to uh, school and with like and elbow it, patches. Yeah, and somebody <laughs> was like, "What's up with the blazer, dude?" And he was like, "I don't care," you know. And I remember asking him because I was like obsessed with the idea of like popularity. Like at the time, uh-huh. I was just a normal kid, I guess, or maybe not. But um, I I went up to him when we were ten. And it was one of those weird memories that always stuck with me because it was so cool. And we were 10 years old and I was like, hey, how come you like, you know, why do you wear that blazer if like kids are going to make fun of you? And he was like, I don't care at all what anybody thinks and neither should you. Hey, go Liam. (laughs) And I was like, I was like, yeah, cool. And honestly, from that moment, I was always like like a little fan of his, just like kid fan or whatever. Right. And of course he went on to like, he was like the first kid to make albums and music and like he made cassette tapes like i have them in the closet i could show them to you like you know he wasn't called that he has a different name he took on a stage name and um he was like the first one to be like you know working in a studio and making cassettes and so it was sort of no surprise he ended up having a good career you know and he went in to do music videos and movies and tenacious d movie that's what's up did you go to college i went to the university of virginia Okay. In Rich in Charlottesville, Virginia. Uh, different culture. Was it? Different I saw world? Dave Matthews before he was big, That's and I up. hated it. Hey. I was like, get me out of here. What? Sorry, I, I I I I don't know why. I I like I like many many things, and I'm not judgmental, but uh-huh. I couldn't stand the, his music. Was he playing at your school? He, or? he was playing at. There's a club there called Tracks where he would play every Tuesday or something, and I just went to one of the like random Tuesday ones. Some girl I was dating was like, "Come see Dave," you know. I was like, okay. I went to lots of shows. Yeah. And I went and I was like, oh, I don't know. Like, I'm having a hard time with this. Like, what do you know? So, been late 90s? 93. 93. Oh, wow. So, oh. 92. Before even. he was on MTV and stuff. Oh, way, way. This is like oh. before he was at all big. Wow. And in fact, and even before that, I, when I was really young, I lived alone in an apartment in Richmond, Virginia when I was like 17 years old for a couple summers. Yeah. And I had these friends who were like older than me and I was hanging out with them and they were like, you know, they're like, oh, you're into music, you're a musician, like, you should check out the Boyd Tinsley band. And this was like mm-hmm. 89, 
And they were like, check out the Boyd Tinsley band. And I was like, who's that? And like, he's this violin player. He's awesome. And I guess that's the violin player for Dave Matthews. That's tight. He had a band before Dave Matthews that people were talking about. Wow. I love the whole story. Like Dave, Dave is great. You know, I know people that know him and I'm sure he's a great guy. I just could never quite get down with the, the musical stylings. <laughs> so you didn't, Edgar Allan Poe went to university. Of Virginia, yeah, right. Sure did. He dropped out. He I don't know. Gambling problem, I guess. Something. I yeah. don't remember. Do they yeah. have, I heard they have like his dorm preserved. Yeah. Like they, well, they have a room, the Edgar Allan Poe, Poe room on the lawn. There's like 60 some rooms on the lawn, oh. which are where, VIPs live there uh-huh. and um and it's it's really uh it's it's cool it's like um uh the, the yeah his room I don't know if it's I don't know if it's like kept in condi- some sort of museum like state for him I don't yeah. think so though cuz okay. there there's only like a limited number of rooms so I think they try to you know people live in it people live in it yeah wow that would be awesome yeah. that's cool um then how did you get to San Francisco what was the process when of I here? I had a band all through college and we played all around. We played at tracks where Dave Matthews played and we played all the local clubs and we won a battle of the bands and blah, blah, blah. And then we decided to leave from, we were like, I was really ambitious. I was like, I was like, the minute I graduate from here, I'm going to go straight to somewhere and start doing the music thing full time. Wow. This is what I'm going to do. Yeah. And I basically, far as I can tell, sort of rallied everyone to come and do this with me. So two of the guys in my band, not the drummer, and then some other people, um, and uh, my guitar player was like, I was like New York, LA. And I remember we had, a, um, you know, that hike I sent you on. Yeah. The, the yeah. Marine headlands we went, yeah. vibe. Right. Right. So if you up, up, up in that area, um, if there was a poster in our practice room, it was a grateful dead poster. And I'm not, I, I wasn't a grateful dead fan. I, I can appreciate them a lot, but, um, we just had this poster cause it was cool. It was like a skeleton sitting on one of those Hills looking out over the city mm. from that view. Mm. And, and that was in our practice rooms. So I saw it all the time and I was like, man, that place looks awesome. You know? And it was like, should we go to New York? Should we go to LA? And then the guitar player was like, my sister just came back from the Bay area and she says it's awesome. And like, we could rent a house in Oakland and like, I'm going to go visit her and I'll, and so he came and came to Oakland while I was still in Virginia and he found us a house on Eileen street in Oakland, North Oakland. And we rented that, um, for $2,100 a month for enough room for like seven people to live. And then we, the day after graduation, we got in a U-Haul with like all of our stuff. And I had my this Korean girl, I was kind of sort of dating who was my friend mm. and her name is Jin. And she got in the U-Haul with me and sh- she and I, and one other person drove, drove all the way across the country and we camped along the way and, had a really fun time. And then we got to Oakland and then we like, we set up shop. We turned our thing into a practice space and, um, our garage into a practice space and started getting gigs. And like within like a month we were, we started, I got us a gig at like bottom of the hill and all the clubs that you could play at night break boomerang on hate wow. street. Um, so you like, you just jumped a, right in you as a producer, you like produced and manifested this vision, keeping the college band together, Maybe, yeah. moving out here. Yeah. Um, so that would was that that would have been ninety four wow. May of ninety four. I know it's a long time, 94. man. Twenty five years ago. I'm so, older than I seem. So so that was towards the end of Nirvana's like reign of grunge yeah, and yep. Primus, the years of Primus, and must have been an amazing time to be doing music in the Bay Area. Like, how I, did, you what know, was energy like? I I was really clueless. Like, I never I never paid any attention to like the hip hop scene, which mm-hmm. I think was pretty big here, and I just. I didn't even know who like Souls of Mischief was or Hieroglyphics or any of that. And um, 
I was kind of just stuck in my dumb world of like, we want to be the next Faith No More kind of band, you know? And I didn't really, I didn't really, you know, the music scene was only available to you to look at through like the one magazine, like BAM magazine. There was no internet. So, right. It's true. So you kind of just, you know, I wasn't really, I didn't really know what the scene was or wasn't. And I didn't really, and even like, honestly, at that point, like, like, you know, nationally or whatever. I, I, I don't know. I, I, I don't even, I kind of missed like 94 to like the year 2000. I kind of like checked out from like, I didn't really listen to the radio much and I didn't, I was aware of all the indie rock because uh-huh. that's just the world I am sort of in. So I was aware of all your pavements and neutral milk hotels and that whole scene. And I was like aware of it and I was aware of some of the like radio stuff, but you know, I didn't have, we didn't have cable, so we didn't have MTV. Right. Um, we were all really busy. We were like working and making music and playing shows and I was working and bartending and, and I just, yeah, like I didn't really, yeah, I, I didn't really understand. I don't even know what the scene was. Like I went out to lots of shows. I don't yeah. know. I don't know. For a couple of years, when I started working at the Paradise Lounge, uh-huh. I, I got a lot more in tune with things because then I was suddenly in the middle of, of everything. But yeah, like 94 to 97, I was kind of like in my own head and I don't even really know what was going on in the Bay Area then at all. Right. Well, in I a mean, way, that's cool because you were able to incubate your own. I mean, you weren't following those trends, right? No, no trends. Yeah. Totally doing our own thing or my own thing. I made my own first album. You know, I, I just, yeah. I don't Yeah. For better or for worse, I was like, I was in my own head, you know, a lot. So how did you link with Automator? Because after a couple of years of this band I was in unsuccessfully doing anything good at all, I realized, and this is a tip I often tell young people who want to get into this business or any business, especially creative ones. Mm. Um, I realized that um, I wasn't going to, I was like the chances of like making your band get big, like grassroots style is like so hard. And I don't think I was wired for that anyways. Mm. And I was like, I need to be in the business. I need to like get a job in the music business. And um, long story short, I was trying to get us a gig at this really amazing club called the Paradise Lounge where everybody played. And it was the hub of the San Francisco music scene for many, many, many years. And um, I really wanted to play there. And it was, they never answered their phone. The voicemail was like, you know, back in those days to get a gig at a club, you could only call once a week in these like specified Mm. windows of time. Like, hello, booking hours Wednesday from three to five. If you don't, if we don't answer the phone, then like try again next Wednesday, you know, and that was it. And so, um, you'd be getting busy signal. probably. uh, Yeah. You just get a bit, you know, you'd start calling at two fifty, and it would be busy until five ten, And then you would just give up. And, and, um, (laughs) and it was like a game and like we all talked about it. It was, it was, kind of pathetic and horrible but that's really how it was like everywhere is really strange and um and at the paradise lounge one time there was this like harsh sort of brusque uh uh voice like this woman and she was like hey okay so all of you bands that are trying to play here like we're too busy we don't have time for any of it if you know we can't even listen to all the demos we do have don't send any more demos this was on the outgoing on the outgoing if you really want to play here why don't you come down here and help us wade through and listen to all these demos and maybe we'll talk about getting your band a gig. And I heard that message and I was like, huh, like that sounds like the kind of thing I would do. So 
And I think even like a couple, I was like, well, it's just a joke. Like, no, it's like, so like, like three weeks went by and I called again and it was like the same thing. Mm-hmm. And I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to go. So I, and I was bartending. So I had my days free. So on like a Tuesday, I took Bart over to the city. I got off at, got off and on market street and I walked over to the paradise and I walked up to their office and I was like, hi, I'm looking for the booking office, you know? And they were like booking office. Like I was like, yeah, about a machine message. And they were like, we don't know what you're talking about. And I was like, they're like, I think you want to talk to Tony. And I was like, Tony, who's Tony? Uh, and they were like, Tony is the booking person. And I was like, okay. okay. And then they were like, so go downstairs, walk around the corner and like throw something at the window or yell up for Tony. So and I was expecting Tony to be a man. Okay. So I walked downstairs and I walked around the corner and I was like, Tony, Tony, like Rapunzel. And, um, and this woman, this beautiful woman with long strawberry blonde hair pokes her head out of the window and she's like, what? <laughs> and I'm like, uh, I'm calling about the machine message about the demos. And she was like, huh? And I was like, you know, the machine and the demos. And she was like, Oh Jesus Christ. And like takes her keys off her neck, which she kept around her neck on a chain. And yeah. like, dropped it and I caught it. She's like, come in the door and lock it and come on upstairs. So I open the door and I come up and I walk into the booking office and it's just this like chaotic, crazy town mess of just thing in the just crap everywhere and posters and like bundles and things and mailers. And over in the corner, there's like five hefty bags, like the biggest ones you can buy. And they're filled all the way to the top. So they're like a tube, you know how like if there's leaves, you know, you have to like leave some space at the top. Well, there's like no space, like all the way to the top tube style. And then more with like yellow manila envelopes filled with CDs and tapes of bands that are all trying to play at the paradise. Right. And, um, and she's like, okay. She's like, I think maybe Audra left the message. So why don't you sit down and wait for Audra? And I'm like, okay, who's Audra? She's the my assistant. And I was like, okay. And so then um, Audra shows up, and she's clearly like born and raised in San Francisco. This like this like Italian Catholic girl, you know, who's just like comes in a room and has a friend with her. He's like this guy Nathan who worked at the Fillmore and. And and uh, and it was really cool. It was really romantic for me because Tony was like, "What you guys up to?" And she was like. Oh, you know, we were just over at the Fillmore, like watching Tool soundcheck or, you know, something yeah, cool. And I was right. like, that sounds so cool. Like yeah. just rolling around the city, like going to the Fillmore, like seeing the soundcheck and coming back over here, like doing whatever you want. I was like, that sounds so fun. And she sits down and starts to roll this giant joint, like mm. right there in the workplace. And I was like, okay, wow. All right. This is neat. And then she's like, okay, so like, what do you want? And I'm like, well, I called about that. And she's like, okay, well, uh, and long story short, she was like, yeah. Uh, she was really cool and she was like I tell you what like yeah like if you can listen to and organize all those hefty bags full of demos you can be the intern for a while and then and then like we'll talk about getting your band a show and I was like I'm in wow. so I, I then I went like three times a week for like four hours a day every every week for nothing for no money or anything and I I cleaned up their office i totally virgo powered it and made it all awesome made it all clean like wall calendars and just made it killer you know like how i would want it and yeah. then i um i listened to all the demos and i cataloged them in a little index file that they had and um with a really simple little system and um and we said well, she did it with me for like an hour one day to make sure i had like good taste and could tell a, a good band from an amateur band okay yeah and um or how to if it's like if it's like you're not sure if it's good or not just classify it you know like we don't we're not all experts in certain kinds of music yeah. and um and then um and then that took nine weeks and then after nine weeks one day she walked in and she was like 
I was just hanging out with like Fugazi at the Trocadero and, and the, the uh, the 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 owner of the Trocadero asked me to become their booking agent yeah. or something, and she was like, "So I'm leaving this job." And she's like, "Do you want my job? You can be the new assistant and work for Tony." And I was like, "Yes." Turns out Tony was the automator's manager, Tony oh. Isabella. So while I was getting to know her, she would be like, "Oh, like Dan's coming over to get lunch," and I was like, "Okay, who's Dan?" And Dan at the time just drove around in an old like beat up Toyota car and was totally normal and hadn't gotten all all famous and weird yet. And, um, and, uh, we all would have lunch and like go to get burritos and admission like every day and hang out and do stuff. And then that turned into all the, you know, they asked me to play keyboards. I mean, a year later, yeah. once we all knew each other and they had seen me play music and I was clearly not, I was clearly in it for the long game. And then they, I played keyboards in that original Dr. Octagon band and was like the musical director of it. And, you know, just, I mean, I, I can go That's and go cool. and go, but it all kind of, I always say my music career started when I got that job because, yeah. oh, and by the way, I told Tony, I was like, I want to be a producer. And when I, I found this band called the gun and doll show and she, um, she financed me producing them. Mm. She like loaned me the money. I was like, cause she was trying to kind of sign some people too. Like she was managing Dan and she was like, I kind of want to like have a label and sign some artists here and there and like try and do this. Like she's really good. Like, she could be like an A and R person for a major label. She's really skilled with, with discovery, I guess. Um, and um, so she, this band I was interested in was blowing up, and she was like, "Let's do it. Like you produce it, I'll pay for it, and then we'll mm. like get it. We'll shop it and get it signed to something." And we pretty much did all that. That's a kind of a whole other long story. I don't want to. I don't want to get mm. get too nutty nutty on you here. But that all that all transpired, and then all the Dan stuff transpired, and then the Rondo Brothers were created, and. It all started there. Like, so my, my thing I always say now is get a job in the industry you want to be in. Yeah. If you aren't, if you aren't like the leader of it, if you're not like already kicking ass and like selling 300 tickets or whatever, then just get a job. Like you want to be in the music business, get a job at a club. Like suddenly yeah. you're going to be surrounded by people who are all in the same industry as you. Right. And it's kind of fun. And then you start to create a team and, you know, you start to have friends and colleagues and acquaintances and, you know, like even if you're working at the box office at Slim's, it's like you're meeting bands, you're meeting people. The phone is ringing, yeah. you know, like I would I would think so it's yeah. better than doing something totally different, you know. Well, that physically showing up. Right. That's like yeah. a huge part of it. Yeah. And we linked because I guess through Head Automatica, Head Automatica Miles, who was managing the matches, yep. linked us because we did that. Um, the Hot Topic is not punk rock song. And that's when I first met you guys. And. That was your old studio, or, or Brandon's old studio up in Haight Ashbury, right? Uh, on uh, or, in uh, in um, uh, Bernal Heights. Bernal Heights. Yeah. And that was two that that was fall of two thousand five, something like that. Yeah. And um, around that time, you and Brandon were doing a lot of Rondo's. You you did, how many Rondo Brothers solo albums did you? We all made do? well. We've made like four or five records now, but at that point. I don't remember. I think you think we might have hooked up with you after the first record, or maybe before the first record. Right around the same time, the Hawaiian first record. record. Yeah, the right record. around the same time because you were one of the first Rondo projects. Honestly, like that's cool. We were in Head Automatica for a while, and we did a lot of remixes. We did a bunch of remixes and work and some commercial stuff. And then you were one of the first like um, artists that was officially like Rondoized. That's you know, cool for sure. For sure. For sure the first one that where anything at all happened. 
which was like really gnarly and real. That's like, cool. You know, um, we I remember we did that song in a day, and it was amazing how local radio and rock radio. It was so the song was so simple, but it got it kind of did well. I remember it yeah. got played a lot on Live One Hundred Five, and yeah, it's now it's still one of the top songs on Spotify. And I remember really? how yes, yeah, in my top five, I think wow. it, that it was simple and fun to do. And I remember like you're talking about um, managing the session, like just by being a spiritual presence. I remember the whole time you were playing this really like on your on your flip phone thing this skiing game oh, snowboarding right. game snowboard game yeah what was that thing called? what was the, the, the sidekick the sidekick we all had sidekicks and you were and i was like this is so different than anyone else because jim is here making sure everything's fine making sure brandon's doing his job making sure everything's set up but you were just chilling and playing this game <laughs> and i was like this is a very different vibe than the new york all the new york and la sessions i'd done and that was really yeah no because i liked it because it was you guys were teamwork and you were not stressed at all right and then we hear we had what i guess could say was our, the biggest radio reacted song that i ever worked on and came out of that and it kind of gave me a, a perspective like huh you know that's sometimes it can be easy you don't have to make it hard for yourself if you have the right team right know? right and that was a good lesson i'll never forget that yeah <laughs> yeah that's cool that's really 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 cool i never did beat that damn game <laughs> I tried so hard. Do you still have your sidekick? No. no. That, that probably gone. wouldn't work anymore. Yeah. I liked that little phone, man. I really did. I liked the QWERTY keyboard. Oh, yeah. You type quick. Yeah. And it's just, you can feel it. And I don't know. That's what's up. Um, so, how'd you meet Angelo? Because you guys have done a lot of stuff together. Angelo. Um, I met Angelo because. Uh, a friend of mine who was also in the band with us, this guy, Chris came over here one day. He was, it was like a Sunday, a Saturday night. And it was like seven o'clock and he's like, okay, hey, come over to the studio and like bring my guitar and blah, 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 which I do a lot of. And I was like, sure. So he came over and, um, he was like, man, last night I was so inspired. I went to the, the Roxy and the mission and I saw the fishbone movie everyday sunshine. Mm. And, um, and it was really inspiring. And Angelo was there talking. Angelo and Norwood were there giving a, sp a talk after the after the, uh, the, the the movie showing. And he was like, it was so inspiring. I just was so inspired. Angelo is like my hero, blah, blah, blah. And he was like, is there any way you think we could like work with him? Mm. And at the time, well, I'm always kind of, I kind of believe, well, I'm totally naive and idealistic. And I believe that like you should be able to reach out to anybody and they should always be like, yeah, totally. Like no matter who it is, like I just think that that's how the world should operate. Right. Like Tom Cruise or whoever should be like, yeah, you want me to come over? Yeah. Like, and so um, I was like, let's just hit him up. You know, I, and I, and in my mind, Angelo was like, was like a big deal. And, um, and I was like, but I was like, yeah, like sure let's just hit him up and he was like really and i was like yeah i'll just i'll hit him up like who's this manager so i went on the internet and i typed in like fishbone manager and i got this name and i emailed the woman amy and i was like hey amy this is jim i'm producer in bay area and i've done like foster the people and head automatica and galactic or whatever my biggest names were at the very at that time like 2012 or something and um and uh, she wrote back within like 10 minutes, mm. as good managers do, yeah. and was like, hey, sounds great. I was like, we wanted to get Angelo. We wanted to maybe hire him to come up to the studio for a day and collaborate and like just do something. Mm. And we can pay him something and like whatever. And um, she was like, she was like, sounds great. Here's his number. And then the really smart move, though, um, uh, that, I'm, that I did in this case, which, which I knew was the thing to do and I still know, and it's uh, something I've, I, I look to occasionally was... I didn't call him. I had my friend Chris call him. 
Now, Chris, on your behalf. Well, not even on my on his own behalf because it was his idea. Ah. He was the artist, right? And you have to respect the source of the desire. It's like oh. very, very, very important because I'm way too like Virgo power and like. I'd be like, hey, Angelo, this is Jim. I'm like a producer. And like, yeah, my friend wants to collaborate with you and I'm going to, we'll pay you and like da 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 and like details and money. And I'd get all like admin about it. Mm. But my friend Chris was just like, was like, really? Like me call him? And I was like, yeah. I'm like, you're the one who wants to, I was like, I, I'm down, but I'm not, I'm not dying to do it as right, much as you right. are. I was like, so if it comes from you, it's going to be way more real. And, and, um, and it totally was, it totally worked like a charm. He was like, man, I just talked to Angela for like an hour and like, wow. he was so cool. And like, yeah. man, like he said, he's down and like, I'm going to, we're going to send him like, you know, $500 and he's going to come and like, da da da. And I was like, I was like, killer. I'm, I didn't have to do any of that. Wow. I didn't have to figure anything out. I could just be like, you know, just, I'll just be sitting in the studio chilling. So he didn't even know I existed till he walked in the room mm. and, um, and ever since then, I kind of let him be the, let my friend Chris be the kind of outputter of that whole project. And it's nice to let, it's nice to have roles and let people do their role, you know, yeah, and yeah. not try to do it all or control everything or make everything go in a certain direction, you know, like just let it be what it's going to be. That's really important. And I, 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 I've really learned to do that a lot. And, and Yeah. That well, Jim, that that dichotomy I think is like that's a piece of wisdom for the people who get burnt out and leave the industry after five years versus people like you, lifer, presumably. I see you doing this in twenty years. I got years. no other plans. And so yeah, like finding that being able to not you don't it's like you can't control everything in life. You can't control everything in a session. You can only connect the dots. I like what you said a, a few minutes ago. You're like, respect the the source of the desire. What would, yeah. yeah, that's a, I never thought like that. So heard that. whoever in a creative environment, if people have creative desires that are important to them and you respect those, like you, you know, you know, if Angelo comes in the studio and is like, man, I just like, I got to get this off my chest. I have this like, dark thing in my brain. That's not what I'm going to be like, well, that's nice and good and well and all, but we need to do a fun song with a ska beat. That's going to like make us lots of money. You know, like I'm going to allow it to, mm. I'm going to flow with that. Um, when my friend Chris says, um, uh, my friend Chris says, you know, I want to reach out to this person. I let him reach out when, you know, I would, I would, you know, when, 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 when you were, I remember when you were in the studio once and we were working on the, the, the cool Keith song. Yeah. Um, what's that song called? The again? Roger Rabbit song. The dip. Yeah. And it was all dubstep. Right. Yeah. And I'm like, and, and you know, and you're like, I kind of want to do this, like these dubstep and these big beats and these kind of thing. And, and, I, and, and, and part of me, you know, I remember like we turned learning, the kick drum to be the baseline. Yeah. I yeah. learned something from that session. I don't remember much about exactly what I, what I did, but I know that at one point in my head, I'm like, I'm like, I don't do dubstep music at all, you know? And then at another point, point, I'm like, but that's what that's what he wants. So I'm not going to say what a jackass thing it would be to say to be like, yo, man, I don't do dubstep. Like, mm. like, why don't you get a dubstep guy to do your dubstep song? Which people will, will talk sure. that way in the studio, man. Sure. They will. Like, people will be like, 
yo man i don't it's like it's like it's like and then and i had to realize in in my mind i had i had to like go through this process and i had to be like mc lars doesn't want me to make a generic dubstep beat of he doesn't he says dubstep and what he means is he wants it to be like right right. like a big fat halftime grindy cool beat i can totally do that i could do that all day right now can i do the exact kind of dubstep or whatever that the dubstep guy does no do i need to no are you trying to go get played on the number one dubstep uk like euro trash disco playlist no not necessarily you're just trying to do what you want your desire is to have this feeling in your song and i'm supposed to be my answer is my answer is never no the answer is absolutely and then i have to get out my toolbox and figure out how to make it happen knowing full well that it's going to become its own thing you don't you don't you know like and there are artists who are inexperienced and they'll go, I appreciate that you've made this really awesome, cool thing for me, but could we go listen to like 30 of the best dubstep songs ever and make one of those in the next five minutes, you know? And then you go listen to like the late, you know, a Skrillex song or whatever. And you're like, you're like, that's when you can be like, well, I don't have everything he has, you know, he probably has like this rad drum machine and this other keyboard and a whole different studio filled with different stuff. I, I can't, I, you know, we can try, sure, sure. but we're only going to get so close. So that's what I mean by respecting the sort of desire, whatever it is. It's like when someone wants to, wants to be chill, they should get to be chill. Like they're the artists, like the whole reason we're even recording the stuff we're doing is to support what they are feeling. And, and also like an interesting point is that this notion that you're going to try and try a million things. And sometimes the songs you don't expect will react with people do react with people. So you got to follow. I think that's a cool perspective. Follow the inspiration and the intention and the passion of the artist you're working with, because you don't know what's going to resonate with people. You have no idea. And, how, well, how can you think about it beyond making you stoked? Yeah. And, and them stoked in that moment. Like, cause once they're stoked, so there's an artist is like, yeah. I'm really happy with that. I'm like, hallelujah. Then we're done. Right. We're, we've arrived. Right. right. You know, right. I had the same experience with, um, geographer, you know, that do you, have you heard of geographer? Uh-uh. Really great music and, and like pretty popular and really killer. Yeah. Like one of my favorite artists. And he, we made a song called so low and it's like, you know, it has like 700,000 plays on his Spotify. It's, it's just done pretty well. And, um, and he wanted to do this like certain kind of, you know, as soon as you heard it, you'd go, Oh yeah, I get that. Like, yeah, feel you, feel it. Like, I get it. I get why he wanted, and I get how you did it. And right. no, it isn't the same as... It's a certain style, but it's not the same as everybody else's version of that style. But it totally works, and it's totally killer. You know? And, like, and like, I, I you know, he was, in, my, in his mind, competing with all these amazing records that he's listened to from, you know, like, just Flying Lotus and, mm. and um, like, you know, from Flying Lotus to, like, the incredible production of, like, Imagine Dragons, like, all in that electronic, right. bombastic sphere that's, like, done so well now. It's, like, ridiculous how right. good those recordings are. And in his mind, he was competing with all that. And I'm like, and I'm like, all right, I'm going to just, I'm going to do my best. And, and I don't know, it just worked. And it's just, it didn't matter that it didn't turn out exactly like an Imagine Dragons song. I wouldn't have wanted it to right. anyways, you know. But anyways, yeah. That's to me, this is like the whole reason I, I do what I do because I'm willing to sit and and patiently uh, allow someone to want whatever they want and get it. Right. You know, and take right. the time to get it and let it become its own thing and try to get off, get off, get out of the pool with everybody else and get in your own damn pool. You yeah, know, your own, 
your own tributary yeah, exactly. on the river. Exactly. Um, what are you working on now? What do you have coming up? Um, I just recorded, uh, I just recorded, uh, a bunch of new tracks with uh, a young man who I believe is one of the most talented artists I've ever worked with. It's called Andrew St. James. Mm. He's kicking ass, like just played at the independent, just played at the chapel, been getting tons of press, um, writes brilliant songs. Good things keep happening. We just recorded 10 of his new songs and, um, we did basics and then we're going to do all the like fun, like post stuff. Like, um, uh, you've been working with them for a while. We've huh? done four records so far. I saw you guys. This will be our fifth. I saw you guys. Oh, you opened, I forget who you opened for, but I went and saw you play with him and his band. Really? Years okay. Ago. Um, yeah. yeah, he's amazing. It's like, yeah. it's obvious. Cool things are going to happen. He's going to have a career, you know, it's just, he's had a lot of, it's been, a, it's been, a, I mean, again, it's a whole, I could write a book about it at this point, but he's had his own whole crazy adventures and journeys and, um, but I really believe in his talent and, um, so do other people and they just keep, they just keep coming out of the woodwork, you know, whenever he plays like somebody, someone in the industry or somebody who can help is like, Hey, like, Whoa, what's going on there? Like, so that makes me incredibly happy. Um, mm. cause, uh, I think his is a voice that is needed, you know, in the world. So, um, so that record, um, I have a band, a really funny, cool band coming from Colorado called whole milk mm. and, um, <laughs> they're coming in a, like a week, uh, and they are two people uh, who are a couple who are incredibly cute and incredibly talented. And they sing and play guitar and bass. And um, and uh, I believe the, the Alec, I believe he plays a baritone guitar. So there's this cool sound. It's like baritone guitar and regular bass. Mm. And they both sing and they harmonize and their songs are really out there and good. Um, they're coming to do like, a, like an EP. So I'm excited about that. Um, that's coming up soon. I made a record with this incredible singer from originally from Chicago who's transplanted to the Bay Area. Her name is Yunaka Berry. Um, we made a band called Cardboard People. It's kind of like our sort of gorillas record, um, which, by the way, you're welcome to come be on a Cardboard People song. Um, oh, tight. We'll have one for you. Thank you. Won't be long. Won't be long. Okay, cool. Um, but we're 10 deep. We have 10 tracks that we've made, and we're going to kind of, we're both kind of really into like having it be this kind of like side project that we're just going to release. We're going to try and make a video for every song and we're going to try and do it all ourselves so that it's just totally organic and real. But the song, like she has this incredible, she's 25. She has this, you know, young black female perspective that again, I feel like is incredibly important in the world and like must be heard, like is absolutely crucial that we all listen. And, and so, and she writes about it like straight from the heart, you know, mm. and I'm just like, damn, I love, I mean, I, I love it. Like, I'm really, really happy. And musically, she's like, cool with, she's like, have all the fun you want. Like, make it rad, you know? Yeah. And she'll be like, I like that. I like that. And we have like 20 songs, but she's kind of picked the ones to sing over. So that's exciting. That's coming up. Um, uh, Jane, the message who I've talked to you about is mm. a young MC who is, um, who is just incredible. Like, her record is the, it's one of the first times in a long time that like I've been really, truly moved by someone by a, like a rapper's lyrics and vulnerability and stuff mm. to where I'm like, how did this? And she makes me feel like I'm like 12. It's weird. It takes me back in time. Reminds me how it was to feel like really confused and scared about the world. And then like makes me feel like it's all going to be okay. Like yeah. if I had had that record when I was 12, I would, I would, I'd be like, I would have been so much more together now, you know, that's cool. Like, but it's, it's like that. Like, I don't know how any other way to so she like, it like relates to my inner child. 
which is fascinating to me. Right, like, right. It, it talks directly to my personal inner child. And I really hope that, you know, I, I, I fell in love with every single song. We had a bunch of wonderful sessions. She's like incredible. And just, again, this, this perspective that, you know, it's like super like female. I mean, it, it's like to the board, to the point of like, you know, to the point of where you're like, it reminds me of listening to like NWA and being like, I'm almost a little uncomfortable with, with this because you guys are so on point okay. and that I can't, <laughs> it's like, it's almost embarrassing to be like driving around listening to it. Cause it's like, I don't know. You know what I mean? Like, like certain things like that, where these people have every right to say everything they're saying and we should be forced to listen, you know? And, yeah. and her yeah. lyrics have that for me where I'm like, damn, like, damn girl, like, damn, like, Oh God, like shit, you know, where have you been all my life? And, um, so I'm really excited about that. And it's like some of the best rapping I've ever heard, like lightning fast and super flawless and has done it right in front of me. And last thing I'll say about her, she, she heartily allowed me to do something that made me so happy just that she, I went to see her at a freestyle battle. She just completely destroyed everybody else on the bill. Like, Mm straight up like freestyle like her and like 10 other guy all dudes and just like wipe the floor with them it was obvious right. and um and uh, and everyone knew it and it's I, pr- I can prove it so she did this like and of course all of their freestyles like were like like nine minutes long just like yeah but yeah like pretty soon you're like all right dude like wrap it up right 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 and they're, they're it's all they were great it's all good but hers was like 87 seconds long like started with a point, ended with a point. Right. It was like totally awesome, like a performance, you know, but all off the cuff. And when I was, when I, and I watched, I sat and watched and I recorded it with my phone. And while I was listening and she got, she hits this one like rhythm in the middle of it. And I was like, I was like, that's dope. And I heard this like song in my head, you know, yeah. while I was watching her. Yeah. So I recorded it and then I was like, hey, do you mind if I like take your freestyle and like use it and like make a song out of it? Mm. She was like, yeah, please go for it. So I brought it back to the studio and I brought it into Pro Tools and I chopped out the part where I heard the beat come in and then I made a song out of it where like it like lands on a beat and then I like improv and I was like I was like okay challenge she did this in like 90 seconds right so I was like I'm going to do mine in like no more than 90 minutes okay so so I created a whole track drums bass keyboards tons of stuff like as much as i could jam in in like a 90 minute period and made right. a whole song where it's bookended by her freestyle so it starts off and then the beat comes in the middle and then my song goes for like a while and then it goes back to her freestyle at the end and then everyone like gets up and cheers and it's clear that right. and it like gives me goosebumps every time i listen to it That's like I, right. it's so 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 good and i and i was really scared to play it for her because i was like is this just the dumbest thing ever like did i just go back in time to being like 12 with my my Dr. Rhythm beatbox and my four track. And she was like, I completely love it. Can we please put it on my album? And hey, I was like, oh my God, yes. She trusts you. She trusts me is that's the point. Though. And that's yeah. a, like, you know, I just, again, that's like, I can't express how nice that is. Like, it's just makes me want to like get up in the morning kind of stuff. Well, that's something infectious about you, Jim, is your pure love for music at, on music's terms. And, um, the way you respect your artists and collaborators and the way you're not defined by genre. And um, it's, yeah, it's really, I always love hearing what you're working on. And I think that anyone listening, I don't know. I just want to give you a plug that you're a great guy to hire for projects. If they meet your standards, right? How can people, how can people at least pitch hiring you for things? 
Um, my preferred method, thank you very much for that. My preferred method is, um, to know people a little bit personally. Okay. Um, I love it when a band just sends me a message and says, Hey, like, what's up? Like, I might need to do some recording. Like, how does that look? What does it look like? What do we do? How much does it cost? Like, mm. blah, blah, blah. Where I can, and I, tr- I, I keep everything like super easy for people. And I just try to get a sense of what they want to do and, I don't want to, I don't want people to be stressed out by the money part. You know, like I don't want people to, I don't, I want there to be zero stress. I want it to be like all good vibes. And then I want to hear some music and make sure I feel like I can mind meld with it, Mm. you know? And, and, and I, you know, it seems like usually people that take the time to seek me out usually have gone and checked out a little bit about me. So usually it works. Usually I, I haven't, very often uh, there's a few times when I've been like, you know, your stuff is cool. And, you know, I don't know if it's the right thing for me to do because I think you want to, you know, like I've, I've even like recommended other collaborators or, or, you know, there's a lot of, there's a lot of different ways I can go, but, but basically I, um, I, I hope that, yeah, I, I think just, just hitting me up and like letting me hear some, I'm really all about the songs. It's, mm. it's like, if I can hear the songs and hear some songs, then I know what I'm listening for. And then I start to be able to, you know, as soon as I hear it, I start to, my brain gets to work and I start imagining what it could be. And do you want to give out your email? My email is green diamond Jim, those three words, green and diamond and Jim at gmail.com. And, um, I am totally down with getting emails from people and that's what's keeping up. it real, you know, and like bad, like, and I always will listen. Like, I don't, like the other thing I, that's important to me is if someone gets in touch with me, I'll be like, send me some songs. Let mm-hmm. me hear them. You know, mm-hmm. this is what happened with Jane. Like, mm. you know, I was like, send me like three or four of your tracks that you like. And of course she sent me like 20, mm-hmm. but then I, I, in a way I'm kind of like, Hmm, like, you know, I've worked with a lot of other producers and some like kind of big name ones. And I've seen their like habits I don't like. And I've mm. heard some of them be like, Oh man, this artist sent me like 30 demos to listen to like, forget that. Like, I listen to the first five and I'm always like, in my mind, I'd always be like, man, that's so like irresponsible. Like, like why would you treat people that way? Like, why would you ever, you know? And I've heard that, I've heard that like from many people, you know? And I'm always like, why are you even doing this business? If you don't want an artist to hit you up and then be like, and then respond. Right. and, And at least do them the courtesy of, of if they, if they're trusting you with their, their heart and soul to send you a bunch of tracks, like, what what else do you have to sit down and listen to? It's them? not an imposition. No, it's like sit down and listen to him. Like I enjoy it. I mean, I learn stuff from it. Even if it's like amateur, I still learn stuff. Right. Like, and you never know, man. Sometimes it's that like thirteenth track that that is where they're, you know. I mean, there's a thousand stories of famous musicians who got famous because somebody was willing to like, like, like hear them out for twelve songs and hear that thirteenth right. and go, now that's the sound. Right. Now, with that. What'd you do differently on that song? And Evan, I've I've done this so many times. What'd you do differently on that third song or that twelfth song or yeah. that twentieth song? I'm always like, what did you do on that thirteenth track? And they're like, oh, weird. Like that's the song I did with my friend Brian, or whatever. And I'm like, okay, I can see. Like, why is that a little more magical? That's What's interesting. The, you yeah, know, and had and, that experience a lot. And then going into the origin of that and then using that as a starting point. Yeah, using you know. that as a starting point and you never know where that's going to happen and I mean, I would never I would, you know, I I consider it my responsibility and you know, this all happens, you know, for me like like if someone's going to quote unquote hire me, um 
then it's it's like part of the job is at the beginning to you know to put in that time put in a couple hours of i will happily listen i'll talk on the phone i'll do a facetime like i don't want him to come here and right i'd rather put in a few hours of my life and because you know, again i even i learn from those hours i i enjoy it like I don't even mind when someone's like, you were rad. And like, I ended up going to LA and working with like Quincy Jones, which doesn't happen. But you know, I'm like, that's cool. Yeah. Like whatever. Like, I'm glad I got to participate in the part that I did like that. It's all, it's all, it's all part of what makes this job fun. I feel like, and I'm not trying to like talk shit about other people, but, but just how I learned this was I was around a lot of situations with other producers, quote unquote, Mm. where I noticed there are a lot of like, kind of like, sort of music industry style attitude about everything. Like that's a waste of time or blah, 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 blah. And I was always like, you know, that's weird. Like, I don't want to ever be that way. So I'm glad I heard that from them because I don't want to be that way. Like, you know, I suppose if I was like outrageously busy and I was just like, I'm doing like nine soundtracks and 20 albums this month. So yeah, I can't respond to every email. Don't you find some people, we can end on this point, but some people feel like they're busy and important for the sake of status that they don't yeah. have, you know? And I think that's like, yeah, that's no fun, man. Of course it's a business, but don't yeah. be like yeah, denigrating people's energy for the sake of making yourself feel better. No. Yeah. It just, I don't know. It seems that's like not tight. Dead end street. Yeah. It's not tight at all. It just, I don't, I don't know. I just, you know, I, this has to be like a love fest for me, like the whole, the whole process, the whole thing. And, and that's where it, to me, that's where it, what makes it worth doing, you know? And, and I, I, uh, I don't, I think I've pretty much firmly established that as part of my ethos and it will That's never tight. go away. <laughs> That's what's up. This interview has been a love fest. Yeah. I learned, yeah. I learned a lot about you. I didn't know all that backstory. Yeah. Um, we should end with a track you've worked on. And, okay. Um, you've worked on so many and is there anything that comes to mind? Like maybe artists we talked about or anything? I mean, you know, um, Maybe since I told the story, maybe we could do the Jane song, the the improv. That'd be great. That seems like a good one, right? Yeah, yeah, it'd be tight. She won't mind. Um, uh, so I already told the story. So this was okay. recorded. <laughs> this is uh, this is this artist Jane the Message, and she, I she performed at a hip hop battle. I went. I recorded her. She wiped the floor with everybody else. I got inspired while she was rapping, and then I gave myself. I, 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 without her knowing, I, I, I also freestyled. That's what's so up. She had 90 seconds. I had 90 minutes and I made a track and her song is all about like having panic attacks and like being a woman in today's society and how hard it is. And so I tried to like put something in the middle of that, that would be as powerful and like be like a, a mental picture of how it might feel to be that person, even though those are shoes I can barely claim to be able to walk in, but I can at least try I can't wait to hear it. That's yeah. exciting. All right, well, cool. This is Jane the Message, and uh, this has been Jim Greer on the MC Lars podcast. One half of the Ronda Brothers, keeping it real. Peace. Thank you, Lars. Thanks, Jim. Let's have a chat about panic attacks. As a matter of fact, I can't relax. If how I react causes you to act pretty whack, perhaps just turn your back. Look away, try not to stare, because you don't get it, and I don't care what you think is neither here nor there. Crying is weird? I'm aware. Air, that's what I'm trying to breathe. It really doesn't matter what you believe. I'll still have this shit if I do achieve my dreams, and it seems you're a bit naive. Rolling up your sleeves, rolling up to me, telling me who you think I'm supposed to be. Mostly insulting my indignity, saying the industry won't be digging me. That's literally just bigotry. Toxic masculinity, if they can't criticize legitimately, they'll 
show off their illiteracy of mental health and play themselves. Hey, let's be a dick when they need help. Let's make them sick when they're not well. Treat them like shit when they're in hell or welling in and telling him who to be while we yell at him. Selling guys like they sell us. Telling lies like they tell us. Weeklies cry, they tell us.
your ass, cause that's called fashion. That'll give you traction if you wanna cash it. Put your top down and maybe try crashing. Bashing your skull, you don't need a brain. Dance on a pole, stay in your lane. Girls entertain our every win. If you can beat a man, still let him win. Being treated like shit is a compliment. Let him take credit for your accomplishments. Pay homages to incompetence or ghostwrite and stay anonymous. Never question any man's dominance. Keep running on empty promises. Dishonestness, admonishments, and hominins stand common sense. Jane, the message, that song was called They Tell Us. Thank you, Jim, for being on the podcast. Next week, we got Brandon, part two of my Rondo Brothers series. The new Revenge of the Nerds 2 single is out. It's everywhere. It's tight. It's got Front A Lot. It's got Mega Ran. It's got Beefy. It's got Whitey Cracker. It's got Lex the Lexicon artist. It's got former Fat Boys. It's got Schaefer the Dark Lord. Who am I forgetting? It's got Sky Blue. It's, 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 it's epic. So check that song out. I also, surprise, I'm going to drop this nugget of news here. I've made an album this past three weeks. An album is all about the Bible. It's 10 of my favorite stories from the Bible with like sassy twists on them, looking at it as a literary text, more than like a religious text, but like the lit hop of one of my favorite books. So that's coming out. Uh, it's going to be like on Bandcamp and then Spotify and everything. I'm so proud of it. It's called the Bible LP. So that you know about. You are all awesome. Uh, check out the Discord. You know, I pop up on there occasionally. Some really cool people on there. Go to mclars.com and the Discord link is there. Stay safe, everyone. And uh, yeah, this year this year can only get better. Happy June. I'll talk to you all soon. See you next week. Thanks. Bye. Oh, 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 oh. Spider-Man Homecoming coming this month on Patreon and my Doctor Strange song. And I have been organizing my Marvel Series 3 cards. So I think I'm going to do something like if you listen to the podcast and you're a Patreon supporter and you message me a code word, I'm going to send you a, a cartoon and an autographed Marvel Series 3 card, which is like one of the dopest pieces of Marvel history. Um, but that's a podcast exclusive. Like, I don't know if everyone listens to the end, but I'm going to have a code word next time. And then I'll send you an art, some art and the Marvel Series card if you sign up on Patreon and know the code word. And that's all for now. I can't reveal any more. Okay, thanks for listening. Thanks, Jim. Bye.